Seriously, I am so excited about this increase in coldness situation. Like, like pretty soon I'll be able to just walk around outside in my standard issue ginger girl jumper and like just live my life. No, seriously, man. Like, I am so doing with like sunburn and sweating. Uh, here, girls, some of us, yeah. Enjoy crop top weather of the magnitude what we've seen this summer, oh hi. Uh, but Chloe, didn't you get like magically sunburned the other week? Yes, yes, I did, Sarah. Thank you for noticing and it is now peeling and my ma will not stop talking about it. Yeah, right there, Scott. Ma, will you stop recording the podcast? I swear, man, the sooner this semester starts and we're all back in the same room, like the better. What do you say about my ma, Katie Morphy? Who's she in there talking about me? What? Ma'am? No. Here, give me that yoke. So we we're in agreement then, like chick lit is just real lit. You know, I think we can all agree that we're building our first homes solely out of books by women. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think we can all agree that K.E. is just as into K-pop as me, even though she thinks she's too cool and like won't talk about it when her blog is around. What is is your K-pop and like romantic literature can both cure heartbreak? That's what I'm talking about. Welcome to Chick Lit for Life. Aggressive. <laughs> Are you okay, Chloe? Ah, uh, yeah. Like God love her. She just like she likes to feel like she's still relevant, you know. <laughs> By <laughs> calling me a culture live on air. I mean, you're a cultural icon in the Cullen household, Katie. What can I say? But like, how does that get your mom any closer to like being? Relevant, like, like she still doesn't know who Dua Lipa is, right? Oh my god, like, it's so bad. Like, oh, your woman in the orange bra. Like, that song came out two years ago, Sandra. Come on, get with a program. Like, you still can't handle that you call her Sandra, man. Ah, don't worry, she likes it. But, like, are we, are we just gonna, we're just gonna get on with it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. The, the holding off on the whole K pop fangirling thing, uh, yeah, Cleo, I think that's a good idea. Well, you were the one who mentioned it, right? But, like, I, su- I, su- I suppose, like, like, do we want to get into the whole group conscience thing that we did? Like, I just cannot handle how much I, like, genuinely love all that shit that you're getting from that group thing, Clay. Like, no, seriously. Like, no, like, it's, it's pretty awesome, dude. I uh, hear, like, like it's, it's really meant for, like, yeah, how a group is, like, handling, like, things in a therapeutic kind of like like whether or not we talk about how much chloe wants to get into chongguk from bts like i don't know like yeah whether or not we do that at the top of the show i don't know if that really falls into life changing Uh, (laughs) i think you'll find that my life is going to change drastically once i figure out how to get into chongguk yopa (laughs) okay And it's so strange I ran out of breath It was very scary And I'll thank you all Not to laugh at me right now like, Ridiculous man like, like I do I do kind of like the idea though That we could even Have like a mini Kind of spin-off show For like just Fangirling But anybody listen to that then? Well I mean We didn't think anybody Would listen to this Fair point Like I guess It's like Become clear 
that though there is an overlap between people that like love K-pop and more specifically BTS and also love books by women, the overlap is like not as huge as one would have thought. Well, I for one will never forget the time that Amita Mori specifically appreciated me talking about being able to see Jean-Claude Kiyopas nipples through his black swan costume back when we did the trouble with Rose. I'm sorry. Dude, like, in in fairness, it was super rewarding to have, like, an established author, like, get one of those crazy rabbit holes that we go down exactly which is why we should be talking about jk Oprah all the time you guys which is why you need to pitch your own show for that man we have books to talk about for real man no and like in fairness like as far as like books that we like go like this one's up there like this 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 one is is pretty great like it's okay dude if you're like a little bit in love with harry no like that that is kind of the thing like i'm properly not no dude like you shouldn't have to like edit yourself or like be aware that like homophobes might be listening to this like harriet's like beyond awesome and like super hot oh my god that dress was she was wearing i had to get into the bath as well no, oh my god no like that's you aren't listening to me like that's not what i was saying like, dude but no like it's totally totally fine kitty you're not listening to me like what i was going to say was that harriet was like super easy to like step into as a character like like i hadn't read a main character in ages that was like i don't know like like kind of like me like you know she she was kind of every woman though she had like her own stuff going on I don't know like it was just really easy to imagine myself in her position and it was kind of like the book that was happening around her it was happening around me at the same time like that's what I meant oh and like that is like really cool Clay. yeah 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 and like yeah the whole thing in the book like about judgment and sending it out and like being afraid of how it comes back and you and all that stuff like I think about that like so much but I I'm getting ahead of myself Sarah oh dude like I wasn't giving you a look I swear (laughs) no 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 like it's fair enough like we need to actually do the excerpt and stuff before we start talking about what's like in the book oh my god you like speak to my soul right now (laughs) like it can't just be like you herding all of us in the right direction all the time oh my god I appreciate you so much right now (laughs) (laughs) but yes 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 so going back a little bit so our book today is Mad About You by Varian McFarlane luckily for us we all did Irish in school so we we just had a brief sidebar at the very beginning as to whether her name was pronounced Vari or like Vairi, like, you know, like like Moira, you know. Uh, you don't need to explain it to me, Sarah. I think you'll remember that I was one of the strongest Vairi, like, performance. Proponents? That's the one. I was nearly there, girl. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I've figured out that this author's name is in fact Vari. Um, we did some reading up uh, on her, and um, yeah, we just we found her to be just as gorgeously self-effacing and down to earth as her characters. Case in point, this particularly gorgeous author biography. Sunday Times best-selling author Vari McFarlane was born in Scotland in 1976. After some efforts at journalism, she started writing novels and her first book, You Had Me At Hello, was an instant success. She's now written eight books. She lives in Nottingham with a man and a cat. 
I mean, it's just so good. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, are we all good to go with what we had talked about before the show? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, usually we'd have like more nonsense, yeah, back and forth about nothing in particular for like the first, I don't know, 20 minutes. Tonkuki uh, yeah. Opa's abs are not nothing in particular, Sarah. Okay. <laughs> Okay, that's fair. Have have you guys seen Namjoon lately, though? Oh, my God. That whole selfie that wasn't a selfie in the gym. I mean, yeah. Am I not human? Do I not also have needs? Why would he do this to me? Yeah. Wait, what? The photo on Instagram there. Jesus, it must be. It's a week ago now, I think. But, like, yeah, it had... It was the whiteboard with, like, the list of shit he does when he's working out. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, you could see... His reflection in the whiteboard, kind of, and, you know, the whole June working out without a shirt on situation had to fan him in a bit of a an uproar from, from what I could see. Katie, like, Clay don't even like blokes and she noticing shirtless to June on Insta. Where are your head at right now? Okay, like, I know Suga was looking all roidy on live before and all, but, like, seriously, get your head in the game, Katie. Like, I haven't really been... Like, keeping up with any of the, like, live streams or whatever. What? You downloaded the new Weavers, like, app, especially so as you'd be able to, like, see all the new content. What's going on with you? Like, I j- actually, like, how is this us holding back on the K-pop talk at the top of the show? Like, are we going to do this excerpt or what? Um, yeah. Yeah, good call, Kay. Um, so, yeah, usually... In the show, we'd talk about, yeah, uh, BTS for another, I don't know, 10 minutes. I, I beg your pardon. We would talk about Chloe's Chungkuki Opa's abs for a bit more. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> and, then, and then we'd go through the blurb for the book, followed by an excerpt, usually like the first chapter. But today, um, we were talking about this before, and, and the way the book opens, um, it's kind of like we'd want to do, like, the first couple chapters, um, but we can't because that's too long. And the thing about the blurb is it actually kind of gives some stuff away. So what we're going to do is we're going to do the excerpt first, but we've actually kind of chopped it up a little bit. Um, so we, d- we do a little bit of time travel, which we'll explain. Um, and then we're going to follow that up with the blurb because that's the way the, I don't know, that the information kind of needs to go. Oh, um, my God, this is going to be so much fun. <laughs> you are so adorable, I swear. Stop it, you. <laughs> and actually, you know what, Clee? Yeah? Since Harriet was a character you found, you could step right on into. How would you like to give us a go of this um, particular slice of awesome? Oh, ah, uh, okay, all right. I sent you the latest file, didn't I? You did, yes, here. So, yeah, the prologue and then the chapters with that bit missing. Yeah, that's it. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> Hi, you're the best man. Is it Sam? I'm Harriet. I'm the photographer today. She raised the Nikon D850, that's hard to read, around her neck on a strap by way of unnecessary corroboration. Is the groom around? The best man looked at her with an expression of tote desperation. He was coated in a pastry glaze of sweat like he'd been brushed with an egg wash and would form a golden crust at 180 degrees. A very awkward pause ensued where Harriet wondered if he could speak. He's gone, Harriet. Sam croaked eventually with wild eyes. 
He uttered it with the kind of brokenness and wit people usually reserve for when they meant pass to the other side. Who's gone? The groom, the best man gestured with both arms outstretched to the empty space next to him. Harriet checked her watch. Ten minutes to the official kickoff. Get him back, pronto, or she'll arrive without him here, she whispered urgently. That's the idea, said Sam, who looked as if he were having an anesthesia-free foot amputation aboard a haunted boat in a storm. He's gone, gone. For good. What? Gone, as in, as in departed premises, is declining to get married, Sam said under his breath, eyes bulging. What the fuck? Harriet hissed. Did he say why? I told him he didn't have to do this if he wasn't sure, sort of as a joke. And he said, seriously, do you mean that? And I said, why? He said, because I don't want to do this. And I said, is this nerves? And he said, no, did you mean it when you said I didn't have to do it? And I had to say, well, yeah, I guess so. And he said, okay, I'm going then. Please say I'm sorry. Sam said all of this in one galloping breath and had to pause to suck in air. He put a steadying palm on his chest, on his pristine white shirt, and when he moved it, there was a tragicomic sweaty handprint on the cotton. I'm going to have to tell Kit he's jilted her. Oh, my fucking life. He's definitely not coming back, Harriet said. Sam said, closing his eyes, clearly wishing himself able to teleport from this church in the gothic revival style on the outskirts of Leeds. Nope. Harriet had no protocols for this whatsoever. She was hired to take pictures, from the soup to nuts of bridal prep through the first dance. It didn't always go to plan. Best men got so drunk they slurred the speech, DJs played the uncensored version of the track, and a chocolate fountain once broke and appeared to be pumping out a mixture of kibble and raw sewage. But the knot always got tied. A runaway prospective husband-to-be was off the map as far as crises went. Did he tell the vicar? Harriet said in hushed tones to a placeholder gritted smile in case they were under observation. Yes, he told him at least, Sam said. Where's the vicar now? Round back, having a cigarette. What? Are vicars even allowed to smoke? I don't know, but under the circumstances, I didn't feel I could tell him not to. Harriet nodded. One for God to judge. Did I cause this? Would my stupid line about how he didn't have to do it. Sam genuinely looked like he might cry. No, Harriet said in an emphatic whisper. This isn't exactly something you'd do purely through the power of suggestion. I should walk out to meet her, shouldn't I? Sam said. It'll be worse if she gets to the door. Oh God, definitely, Harriet said. The public humiliation would surely be unbearable if everyone saw her in her finery if they realised at the same time she realised. The Christina who'd hired Harriet didn't seem the type to take any disappointment well, let alone catastrophe. She was dull tiny, with jet black hair and a self-assured, borderline haughty demeanour. The groom had been too busy to meet Harriet during the standard planning stages, and she was now wondering if that was significant. If he's definitely, definitely not coming back. Sam's face was panic and agony. 
He's not. I can't believe he's done this to you. And to her, Harriet said, aware that it was a slightly odd statement given she didn't know it to toss her. I can't believe a total stranger would behave this way. <laughs> she glanced at the good-natured, expectant hubbub behind him, feeling crushed on their behalf. I'll walk out with you, she said, and Sam nodded thank you and gratitude. Heads down, they strode purposefully down the aisle, out into the churchyard and down the path among the mossy gravestones. As they neared the road, Harriet saw a beribboned white Rolls Royce slide up along the pavement and felt physically sick. Poor, poor Christina. And poor Sam. He blew his cheeks out and exhaled, windily, stuck his fingers into his wild mop of curly hair, then seemed to remember it was tamped down with gel. It's not your fault, Harriet said, and Sam nodded, no longer able to communicate. Wish me luck, he said eventually in a pinched voice as he left Harriet's side. Good luck, Harriet said quietly, though as the words hung in the air, they sounded violently tasteless. She realised she couldn't bear to even look, to see the moment the bride crumpled and it was clear Harriet's contribution to the day was over. She strode briskly in the opposite direction, staring down at her cherry red Doc Martens, what a legend, in the fallen cherry blossom on the pavement, silently counting the steps to busy her mind. One, two, three, four, five, six. Harriet heard a scream rip through the air and stopped dead in her tracks, her heart pounding. She turned to see Sam being punched square in the face by a five foot four inch woman in an exquisite mermaid gown of ivory satin. Sam reeled back, clutching a bleeding nose. The father of the bride exited the car like a gorilla escaping a safari park and the shouting began. One month later. Read me the menu again, would you? I've totally forgotten what we're having for the main course, Jonathan said, swinging his gleaming silver Mercedes lustily around the corner, precariously close to a dry stone wall. It always took Harriet aback that John's driving was completely out of step with every other aspect of his demeanour. Put a steering wheel in his hands and mild-mannered, cautious John became flamboyant, even cocky. Harriet unlocked her phone, scrolled to the relevant page and read aloud. Aged Yorkshire venison, heritage carrot, ramson, Miso cashew cream. What's a ramson when it's at home? And I'm pretty vague on the properties of miso cashew cream, truth be told. To think you work in the food industry. Not at the miso cashew cream end. Harriet prodded at the handset to Google it, briefly bracing her free palm on the car door to ward off motion sickness. It is a bulbous perennial flowering plant in the amaryllis family. Garlicky, by the sounds of it. Good awe. And we told him about my special condition. Allergic to lettuce. Harriet sometimes thought that was John in three words. Who on earth is allergic to lettuce? Imagine the shame at the inquest. Cause of death. Radicchio. Your mum said she'd do it. And if she decides she didn't say that, I have the texts as receipts. Harriet treated dealings with her in-laws like running Churchill's war rooms. You napped with one eye open around Jacqueline Barclough. Harriet pushed her phone back into her handbag and fiddled with the volume on missing by everything but the girl. Actually, can we have it off, please, Hats? I'm getting one of my headaches, John said. Sure, pull over and lay by. What? Have it off? Never mind. John threw her a baffled glance. He was one of those people who thought he had a great sense of humour. His GSOH was more like a burglar alarm. 
Might work if he turned it on, but he often forgot. John F. Kennedy had to have sex several times a day or else he got headaches, you know, Harriet said. Inconvenient, given his workload. Would ibuprofen not do the job? John said. Nope, it had to be Marilyn Monroe. Ah. Harriet could tell she was irritating him slightly. She couldn't say this sort of thing in front of his tightly wound parents and they were close to entering their planetary atmosphere. John, already on his guard, wanted Harriet to behave accordingly. Like an actor getting into character on set before they shouted, Action. So, what we've done now, this is Kleena speaking now, we're not in the book anymore. Um, We're going to actually time travel to chapter four right now, because we can tell that we're on the way to a hotel. We're going to meet John's parents. We're all going to have dinner together. There may or may not be Ramsons there. Let's do this. Back into the book. And I tell you this, I wouldn't live in Bristol if you paid me to. A hotbed of troublemakers and scruffy malcontents. Jonathan's father, Martin Sr., was holding forth with characteristic vim as John and Harriet found him in the private dining room which had tartan-shot silk curtains on a mounted stag's head. Evening all, John said. Is dad off on one already? Your cousin's moving to Temple Me. Oh my God! Harriet, can that be you? said Jacqueline, clutching her chest and reeling back in simulation of a heart attack while Martin Sr. said, Well, will wonders never cease? Jacqueline leaped up from her seat to come and tug at the fabric on Harriet's hips, twitching it into place. Harriet went stiff at the uninvited physical interference. There. Perfect. She added, so nice to see you in a frock for once. The see the praise you get when you actually make the effort, triumphalism in his mother's tone, make Harriet wish she'd made a cross feminist statement in stout trousers after all. You don't negotiate with terrorists. Thank you. Happy anniversary. Harriet smiled at Jacqueline and then at Martin Sr. who looked right through her. He was a husband and a consigliere with the flushed House of Lords look of someone who had dined and drunk well for many decades. His main role in matrimony seemed to be sinking expensive booze and muttering, quite right Jackie, absolutely abysmal behaviour to punctuate any of Jacqueline's stories about the many wrongs they had been done. Jonathan's brother, Martin Jr., and his wife, Mel, walked in behind him with a scowling, skinny Barty in shirt and tie. He went to a private school and his parents dressed him so smartly, he looked like a kid from another era who might buy sweets with shillings and play conkers. My goodness, Harriet, I didn't recognise you. I thought John had a new woman, Martin Jr. said, double-taking. Isn't it extraordinary? Jacqueline chimed in. It? Seeing you in a dress... It's so familiar. It's like, it's like you're in drag, he said, chortling. And Harriet was momentarily speechless at the rudeness as everyone else fell about. Yes, doesn't she look incredible, John said, deploying his selective hearing. Why did she feel so undermined by John? I'm not asking for their approval. Why is Aunt Harriet in fancy dress? Barty said, looking up at his mother and everyone whooped at his precocious wit. The standard Barty MO was to direct borderline offensive questions about the company to his parents. Why don't Uncle John and Aunt Harriet have children? Was a supposedly innocent query last Christmas over the prawn cocktail starter. Because they're not married, was the snaky answer from Barty's grandmother, which Harriet itched to correct. Harriet had no moral objection to marriage. She just had no interest. Doing it purely as a favour to someone else and to meet society's expectations seemed wrong. 
She'd been quite clear with John on this from the start, before he got the chance to start dropping hints. And whenever the subject came up again, she reiterated her stance. Nope, not for me. Not now, not ever. It wasn't personal to John, but it was personal to her. Harriet says you told him about the green threat, John said to his mom as they took their seats and marbled ham-hock terrines were placed in front of them. John's absent of its decorative leaf of little gem. Oh, so it's blame mother if they forget, is it? Jacqueline chortled in more faux merriment, shooting Harriet a look. John asked me if I told him and I said, you said you'd do it, Harriet said. I'm only joking, goodness, Jacqueline chided, waving her hand at Harriet as the waiter topped her glass up. Sniping passed off as humour. Harriet characterised as oversensitive if she defended herself. The Jacqueline Barclough bingo card would be fully dabbered tonight. They made it to a chocolate marquise in Raspberry Coulee with a quenelle of Tonka bean ice cream without controversy until Martin Jr. said, How's the wedding photography going, Harriet? His tone put scare quotes around wedding photography as if it were an implausible front for escorting. Perhaps it was all the nice red wine, but Harriet could feel her diplomacy waning by degrees. Many of the times she thought she was at the end of her tether with her in-laws. She was actually somewhere in the middle of said tether. Two weeks of being fastidiously polite to them all and for what? She was as much a disliked outsider as ever. Whatever the code was to crack their safe and become accepted by the Barcloughs, the magic numbers stubbornly eluded Harriet. Good, thank you, Harriet said. Busy? Lots of bookings? Business booming? Yep, people are determined to keep marrying. The soaring divorce rate never puts anyone off. That's a rather cynical observation, Martin said, pouncing. There it is, Harriet thought. I was joking. I think it's romantic that it doesn't put anyone off. You never seem very keen on weddings to say you've made your career out of them. You'd probably not love them either if you went to two a week. He swilled the wine in his glass, holding the stem between four fingers, as if he were considering the grape on a vineyard wine tasting tour. Why do it if you don't have a passion for it? I don't think that's Harriet's attitude, actually. John interjected limply and was ignored. I am passionate. I'm passionate about doing a good job for the couple, Harriet paused. You're in property. It doesn't mean you want to move house every month. Tell them about the wedding last month, Hats, John said slightly desperately. The groom who legged it? He looked around the room. Seriously, everyone was there at the church. The bride pulls up in her roller only to be told he's gone and done a Lord Luke and minus murdering a nanny. Dreadful. Can you imagine? Melissa gasped. Harriet squirmed at using someone else's ordeal as a thrilling anecdote to dig her out of an unpopularity hole. That was it, really. I don't know him much more, she said carefully. He got to the church, changed his mind and left. The bride was told when she arrived. I've no idea what happened or why he went. What an absolute creature, John said. He never swore in front of his parents. Shattering a young woman's life like that. Presumably they lost a lot of money on it too, said John's dad. You'd not get refunds cancelling on the day. Everyone nodded sadly and murmured, terrible. Why would you change your mind at that moment, Melissa said. It's so... She grasped for what Harriet thought might be insight. Random. It was the very opposite of random, Harriet thought. It was an utterly intentional and conscious decision based on a specific prospect which is why it was so hurtful. Harriet couldn't stop wondering about how ruthless you'd need to be, how heartless to abandon someone you were supposed to love like that, to set them up for a fall from that height. 
Perhaps it was like that film, Jacqueline said. What's it called? You know, the old one with Dustin Hoffman. Rain Man, Martin Jr. said. No, the one where he runs in and stops the girl getting married. The graduate, that's it. I didn't see anyone else, Harriet said. Although maybe the someone else wasn't physically there, but the groom couldn't stop thinking about her or him. No, don't dignify a horrifying episode by giving the man some sort of high concept romantic comedy motivation. Had Christina ceremonially burned her wedding dress, watched it go up like a white flag in the garden? You'd have to aggressively own an experience like that in order to conquer it. Like incorporating a pirate scar. The dessert dishes had been cleared away and she saw Jonathan making emphatic faces at someone in the doorway. He'd not told her of any cake presentation or similar and she wondered if he and his brother would now be locked into escalating displays of devotion. They'd be frog-marched outside to watch a biplane fly past with a banner. The room fell silent as a waiter strode up to Harriet and, with exaggerated ceremony, placed a plate in front of her covered by a silver salver. Harriet glanced around. No one else had one? He leaned down, whipped the cover away. On a large, white plate sat a small, square, royal blue velvet box. Harriet frowned. She looked up. Not only did no one else have weird plate with tiny velvet box, they were all riveted upon her in a way that suggested they weren't similarly confused. What's this? She said. Open it. John said, practically vibrating with gleeful anticipation, and Harriet felt woozily nauseated. It was impossible that John could be this reckless, this tactless, this insane. Please, no. Please, God, no. What was happening? She picked up the box and pushed. It snapped open heavily. A diamond ring sat on a white silk lining. One square gem flanked by two smaller ones set on a platinum band. There was a beat of silence, which felt to Harriet like a yawning void she could tumble right into. It's a ring, she said, because she had no other words, and the held breath of the room erupted in hysterical laughter. Not much gets past Harriet, Martin Jr. whooped. It's a ring, John agreed, his eyes scanning her face for reassurance in her response. Let's do this properly. He took the box from her damp, lifeless hand and pulled his chair away from the table to create the necessary space to go down on one knee. Oh, JJ, bleated Jackie in the background as he steadied himself on the carpet, overjoyed to see her youngest play Mr. Darcy. Looking at John's earnest expression, Harriet honestly wanted to be sick. Imagine that. Imagine responding to a proposal by vomiting on someone. Eat your heart out, runaway groom. Her head was spinning and her heart was pounding, and not in the good way. Harriet Hatley, you already make me the happiest man in the world. Will you make me this happy for the rest of my life and agree to marry me? The two silent seconds that followed this question felt like a whole cultural era had passed. Harriet desperately calculated what to do for the best, what she should do with no time to do so. Yes, she squeaked eventually in a minuscule and defeated voice. Yes, of course. So it's Kleena again. We're, we're actually going to, we're going to time skip again. We're going to get out of, of, of that ridiculous family dynamic. And we're going to go to the end of the night, 
John and Harriet going up the stairs to their room um, because we uh, we all need to see what happens here. Back into the book. Whoosh. I keep catching sight of the ring on your finger and my heart explodes, John said to her, grabbing her hand to hold it as they walked up thickly carpeted shallow stairs to their bedroom. She was quaking at the prospect of what she was building up to do. It was going to be unutterably awful, but he'd really left her no other options. Harriet didn't even have the comfort of feeling one dominant, defining emotion. Fury at Jonathan and pity for him were fighting a tumultuous war inside of her. However much he deserved what was coming next, he didn't deserve what was coming next. Harriet had a fear that he would try and kiss her and she'd have to push him away, so she dropped his hand, swiped a keycard and strode assertively through the door. She moved swiftly across the room, sliding the ring from her finger and placing it on a French chest of drawers, then turned and folded her arms. John, seeing this, looked unperturbed. Don't fret about safety, he said. It's worth a bundle, but I've already put it on the home contents, which would see us covered for loss or damage here too. So put it back on and come here, my stunning fiancé. He looked like a kid at Chessington World of Adventures who'd been told the rides were free. John, Harriet said in a voice so low and grim it didn't sound like her own. What the hell did you do that for? John's expression changed abruptly and yet she remained motionless, scenting for danger like a vole, sensing a predator in the undergrowth. Should I not have agreed with my mother that she could be involved in the dress fittings? I will rein her in if you'd find it too much. Don't you worry. I know you don't like Foss. No! Harriet shrieked in disbelief. He'd still not grasped what he'd done and John recoiled. She realised she'd have to keep her emotions in some check in case they were overheard. I mean, why did you propose in front of your bloody family? That'd be because I very much want to marry you, he said, balancing one elbow on the mantelpiece, the smile creeping back onto his face. She could tell that he was fairly drunk and so elated, so awestruck at the idea he was looking at the future Mrs. Barraclough Jr., that he had enough happiness for her too. Her fussing would not be able to withstand the juggernaut that was Jonathan's joy. Surely she couldn't help but be infected with his ecstatic certainty of their bliss, as if infatuation were a communicable disease. I've always said that I never wanted my own wedding. You know that. I didn't leave it in any doubt. Ah, well then, why did you say yes? John said, and even though Harriet guessed this was coming, she still had to dig her fingernails into her palms to stop herself from shouting. Are you serious? What choice did you give me in front of your parents? Have you got any idea how agonizing that was? John stood up straighter, processing this. But Harriet could see he was also frantically assessing. Okay, she's really upset. Work brain mode, conflict resolution. How do I apologise sufficiently for misjudging the manner of proposal and soothe her, make her feel heard until we can make up, spoon in bed and perhaps even chuckle about it? What am I like? Oh God, Hats, you're absolutely right. I'd not thought of how that might feel. I got so excited that my mother had the ring that she said she'd give it to me here and of course I couldn't wait and a plan formed. My mum was insistent that it wouldn't be stealing their thunder, bless her. 
the incaution of praising his mum for her key role in this shit show was typical John. Jackie wasn't guileless like her son. She'd have known it was interfering, taking family ownership of what should be a private event. She had no doubt hatched the plan as soon as she found a ring and stage directing her son was not difficult. If Barty was Joffrey in their Game of Thrones, Jacqueline was Lady Olena Tyrell. Tell Harriet, I want her to know it was me. It was a bit of a runaway train. I see now that you feel like you've been put on the spot. I don't feel it. I was put on the spot. I don't want to get married. You know that about me. We've had explicit conversations about it. Yes, but he raised and dropped his arms in a gesture of baffled futility. People say things all the time, don't they? I say I'm going to pack in my job and become a paddle sport instructor every summer. I thought you were being irreverently witty. You'd got a bit jaded about them because of your work. I thought if you could do a wedding your way, that my way. You mean that once you'd offered to pay for one, I'd grab it. My convictions are that shallow. No, he did. He thought his wealth carried all before him, that if he was prepared to roll out the red carpet in return, he could have what he wanted. John wasn't a cynical person, but this was the calculation. You thought once I was permitted to plan a party, all my silly little feminine objections would magically fly away. It was one of those little lady ideas that don't actually matter in real life. Come on, Hats, I'd never think your opinion doesn't matter. You know that. You're being a bit mischievous here, John said, and she tried not to scream. I suppose I thought, as ridiculous as it sounds, I thought, no harm in asking. Shy bairns get out. That you could say no. Except if you ask with an audience, John, that's not quite true, is it? A hostile audience at that. This, more than anything, seemed to pierce his bubble of satisfaction and he took a step towards her, hands up, beseeching. No, no, oh, fucking hell, I've made a pig's ear of this. Harriet said nothing. It didn't sound or look like real contrition to her. She didn't think he even believed her. Harriet had presented him with a hurdle he'd have to navigate. That was all. If they left it here, by tomorrow the fantasy would have reasserted itself. Such was its power. He'd be cheerfully whistling and secretly scheming how to incorporate an expurgated version expurgated version, let's go with that, of their exchange tonight into his speech. What was I like? So... Do you want to officially break off the engagement or simply put the idea on hold? Say we're doing a long engagement. Please keep the ring, though. It looks perfect on you. We can call it a commitment symbol or something. The ring. After everything she'd said, he was fretting about a piece of jewellery. Harriet felt an electric prickle up her spine and for the second time today, roller coaster drop nauseated. How did she end up here? What was she like? And suddenly she knew with crystal clarity the thing that her gut had been telling her for a while. She'd been letting those messages accumulate like unopened build and now the bailiff was at the door. She took a deep breath into her lungs. I don't want to be with you anymore. This is over, John. What an absolute plonker. <laughs> Have you been watching Only Fools and Horses again? Yeah, it reminds me of my granddad Nolan. <laughs> oh, no. uh, you guys, I don't think we should be getting behind anything that calls a block of flats Nelson Mandela House. Wh- what? Okay, okay, just let me just let me get into my chair here. <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> what you talking about, Kate? Uh, Nelson Mandela? 
political prisoner, advocate for human rights, worldwide symbol for peace and progress, ring any bells, Chloe? Fucking ants! I mean, the idea that a public housing estate likely built in the late 80s or early 90s would be named after a figure like that is, it's pretty believable, Katie. I mean, I have a great aunt that had a house built, I think, in the 60s that was named, it was on like... Oh, the, the road was like called Armstrong or Tranquility or something because they were built at the same time as the moon landing. It's exactly the same logic. Oh my God, like Armstrong Avenue and Tranquility Way out Artane Way? Like, yes, I would. CKE Corporation been proving you wrong since the 60s. <laughs> you guys, we, we really, really need to take a break soon, but it'd be cool to get a look at what like the rest of the book is about before we do, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the blurb that we skipped is Harriet Hatley, who you've now all met, is the most in-demand wedding photographer in town but she doesn't believe in romance loathes the idea of marriage think we got that and thinks chocolate fountains are an abomination which is why when her long-term partner proposes she panics suddenly Harriet is single and living down the hall from her ex she needs a new apartment like yesterday Enter Cal Clark, a hopeless romantic who just experienced his own wedding-related disaster. Mm-hmm. Harriet and Cal are like chalk and cheese, but as they go from strangers to roommates to friends, it becomes clear they're both running from something. When Harriet's most heavily guarded secret comes to light, her world implodes, and Cal, with his witty humor and gentle advice, and face, is a surprising source of calm at the center of the storm. With her career, friendships and reputation on the line, Harriet must finally face her past in order to take control of her future. Because if she's willing to stop playing it safe and risk everything to share her truth, real love and happiness may be waiting on the other side. Oh my God, we haven't even gotten to the really good stuff yet. I'm so excited, you guys. Like Literally counting the kisses in fictional text messages, girls. I can't. I simply cannot. <laughs> no, like, it really is so good. <laughs> Let's hold on to that for just a sec. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Chicklet for Life. All right, what up, what up, what up? Hey, everybody out there in podcast airspace. It's the Alpha Dogs here at Alpha Life coming at you with another great show. We've got Tyler Rooney talking about his last stand-up gig in the Quadrangle. Oh, yeah, where that shit got all up in his face calling him a transphobe. Anti-Joe Kate, man. Yeah, no, like... Where does it end? Free speech is under attack, my dudes, and we are here to fight the good fight. Coming at you straight up, uncool. <laughs> that is circumcision joke straight out the gate, man. Hey, TID, you guys, this is DUC, you know how we do. <laughs> what, talking about pink books and feminism? <laughs> yeah, Harlow, your board seems to be ruling the airwaves with our little posse. <laughs> like, I mean, I wouldn't call her me board. <laughs> And whore and her posse need something to keep them busy You couldn't have them taking up space A stand-up gig calling good, honest comedians Transphobes, right? Yeah, true that (laughs) You're gonna be in so much shit, man Here, here, don't break up with her Until she introduces me to the little blonde one Yeah, she a total smoke show (laughs) So now you gotta tune in, you guys This might be Harlow's last podcast on this green wart After his lady mozzer gets through with him I hear Alpha Live, (laughs) peace Um, Kay, Kay, did you know that Dave was gonna, like, record that? Well, I mean, obviously, no, no, I didn't. No, like, he can't have meant that, Kay. That must have been, like, for 
booked a show or something. Here, no, we don't need to like talk about it. Like it's nobody's business, in it. No, 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 no. Let's talk about it. No, no, go on. You, you want it? You want to say? I told you so, don't you, Katie? Like, why would I say that? I don't know, Chloe. Why did you say it before? Like when you're, oh, Katie, he's a prick. Oh, remember when he told you that if your woman Kira with a K decided that she wanted him back, that he wouldn't want to be with you anymore? Katie, stop! Dude. Right, this isn't you. Just because we're not like out on a night out, we're not drunk. Like it suddenly isn't what you meant, Chloe. Like, and and don't they say that people are more honest when they're drunk? Like you, you really meant that, didn't you? You were all talking about it all the time behind my back. Like I know you. <laughs> <not, laughs> No, 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 like I did say that, yeah, and like I said after, like I'm genuinely like so sorry, I shouldn't have said that, like we, we talked about that, yeah, I shouldn't have been so judgmental, it wasn't fair on you, he's your bloke, it's nothing to do with me, I didn't take into account how you are feeling. But you it. said, you said that he thinks he's better than me. Well, I mean, like I just, I don't think he, I didn't think... What I said was I didn't think he was good enough for you, but like all of that didn't really do much good, did it? Like it just made us all we were fighting and like you sort of had to like double down on liking Dave. Oh, so, so I'm only like, with him because like you think I shouldn't be? Oh, that's real mature, Chloe. No, okay. <laughs> that's not what she said. Oh, so like we're all just going to gang up and cancel Katie and say that she's with this misogynistic asshole? Like how ironic that our token woke mascot got like taken in by a guy that doesn't even like her. Like Katie's the butt of the joke again. Like, you know, I, like, I don't need this. I I have to go. I have to go. Okay. No, 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 I'm going. This is crazy. What about you, Katie? Dude, like... So, uh... So I suppose just starts off the whole conversation about, like, snap judgments and thinking, you know, how other people feel and all. <laughs> Chloe. Yeah. You sure you're okay, man? Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Like, like, yous... Like, yous know that I'm just slagging so, Like, I'd never be slagging in a bullying way. And, and like, but at the same time, like... Sh- I really thought that I still think that Dave's a bit of a prick. I just thought I was helping, you know. Oh, of course we yeah. get that. No, I like, like I know I make a lot of jokes and stuff, but like she makes jokes about me too. I thought that like we were all in on it. Like no, like that. No, that is the case, Chloe. Like it's about like how close the two years are. Like I, I kind of get jealous of that if I'm honest. Okay, I don't want you to be like I'm not excluding you. So like making jokes about like how you gay and stuff and how your dad's an alcoholic like that shit isn't funny but like girls Katie's in free Palestine but she thought she didn't know where Palestine was she thought it was where Syria was like that was fucking hilarious I just love her so much girl oh Chloe oh, we love you dude no no like, I do I just don't want to be a bad friend, you know. There's there's no way you could be a bad friend, Chloe. Yeah, I think it's it's safe to say that like you're our Lorna Chloe. Yeah, like if there was ever a bull mastiff in Ruby Woo, it's it's Chloe Cullen. Oh goodness, it's gonna make me cry again. Oh no, I'm oh, no. so sorry, Chloe. Oh, no, <laughs> no, <clears throat> no, 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 no. I have a shout to you. <clears throat> people need to know who Lorna is so they can fully appreciate just how class you are saying I am right now. 
<laughs> that's an excellent point though. yeah it's good to know that I can still broadcast effectively when I'm like ugly crying oh, oh, Chloe. Oh, oh, <laughs> but yeah I guess yeah let's go back to to the book to the whole reason why we're here so yeah. so yeah um Harriet is just after breaking it off with her bloke John. <gasps> oh my god girls I just remembered Lorna calls him Captain Gravy <laughs> Good to have you back, Chloe. (laughs) (laughs) And unfortunately, Harriet, um, yeah, can't go like home to her folks or anything like that. Um, Her parents died when she was young and her grandparents, yeah, brought her up and they've since passed away too. Yeah, yeah. I really liked how like she was so clear that like despite all of that, she didn't feel alone. Like everybody loses their family at some stage. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. And like, no, and and you just kind of have to keep living and like get on with it. Like that is kind of mental now, though. Like from a sort of socio like economic standpoint, like the idea of any of us being able to like buy or like even like rent somewhere to live like alone, like that's kind of bananas. But like in other parts of the world or here, like twenty years ago, it would have been like entirely possible yeah like a cousin of mine is like 27 and still at home like she trying to save the deposit for her own place and like there's no way she could do that and rent at the same time like she's been at home with her ma for like three years now well yeah i suppose that's all like true about how things work like financially i i don't know i just kind of thought that the idea that harriet could make her life work without a conventional family underneath her i just thought that was kind of cool oh no like you're absolutely right i'm so sorry i i kind of like just find that whole property bubble thing like kind of super interesting because you're real boring because i'm real boring yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but yeah, no, you're right, Clee. Like it was it was really cool that despite Harriet, yeah, losing her parents and everything, which is like obviously super traumatic, but like that that doesn't define her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like n- no matter how much other people might think that's the case. Even exactly. Right. Hmm. Hmm? Hmm. Sarah. Nah, like maybe maybe it's being a bit harsh. No, no, definitely not. Come on, this is a safe space, man. Go for it. <laughs> Sarah, you so sound. <laughs> but okay. So like yeah, we were saying that obviously Harriet is well class and like she has stuff what was like real hard for her. Yes, she lost her parents, then she lost her grandparents, and then there was relationship drama what we don't need to get too specific about because people go and read this book. But like I guess you could say it doesn't define her because she goes out and like lives her life like she's got her job. She like gets into another relationship with Captain Gravy, his own self. But like because she like concentrating so hard on like being okay, she kind of like by doing that sort of like runs away from everything, don't she? Like... Like, she doesn't even like John that much. Like, why is she in a relationship with him? Like, just to feel safe? Because, like, I'd call that affected by trauma. Well, I mean, 
there is that great point that Lorna makes about John like flashing his money around and creating a sense of like comfort and gratitude in Harriet that like kept her in the relationship that like bringing her on mini breaks to like nice hotels and to nice restaurants and stuff that makes her feel like loved and appreciated and like that could masquerade as like you feeling like you're in love especially if you're coming out of a relationship where you weren't respected yeah but Chloe's point is a good one and in fairness that is pretty clear in the book too like Harriet's pretty vulnerable when she meets John even though she's like game facing through her life and like working to like appear normal and get back out there after yeah a damaging relationship ends and in that sort of headspace it makes sense that you'd find being with someone that properly thinks you're amazing and like wants to show you that all the time like that would be exactly the place for you to like heal and stuff yeah but like that's not fair to the other person in the relationship that's actually in love exactly so Harriet's wrong to sort of lead John on in the relationship and not be real about the fact that she's not all in like he is but John's beyond wrong to disregard Harriet's wishes and assume just because he's crazy about her um, that what he wants for the relationship like forever marriage type stuff with all his gross family involved that that's what she wants too yeah yeah and like in fairness like reading that excerpt again like your skin just crawls like because he's just so wrong but like I did really like that like how everyone was wrong like to some extent like straight out of the gate we've got that guy that backs out on his wedding day like we don't know the whole story there until like much later oh my god the Fitbit was just possibly the best thing I've ever seen in a book ever girls I actually like gasped like out loud on the bus it was weird I think some elf behind me thought I was having like an asthma attack or something and like offered to walk me home pretty sure he was just looking for an opening dude Oh, if Katie was here, we'd be laughing at you saying opening and one of us would say your opening and oh, I genuinely can't believe that it's that sort of shit that brings you guys together. Remember when she texted the group chat last week about the spider what fell on her leg out the ceiling vent when she was on the toilet? And you both had a five minute conversation about the coroner writing a report about a corpse found in a bathroom with their pants around their ankles, cause of death, smashing their head on the sink, trying to run away from a spider that had since disappeared. Yes, we're all in mad therapy trying to get past that, Chloe. Yeah... It was great, wasn't it? <laughs> so I, like, I guess that kind of works in the context of what we're talking about. You are earning your imaginary paycheck right now, man. Mining for segues, Clay. Hi ho, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it is friendship and like genuine connection that kind of anchors so much of the book, like all of the book, really. Like much like Chloe attracting weirdos that will listen to her think out about how the coroner would work out that report. Like what sort of autoerotic sex play would they think the person was involved in? Like they would have tried to run away midstream, Sarah. <laughs> in much oh the same way. <laughs> Harriet does find other people that she connects with like the relationships that she even creates mid-book towards the end of the book with Nina and Marianne like they're really amazing yeah agreed and like with Marianne and this happens a ton in the book with like a lot of characters there's like a snap judgment you make and the other characters make and you find out that that judgment was completely wrong yeah I really like that I really like that it happened in like real life in the book And then also in this kind of organic way 
it brought in social media as well because it happens so much on there like you know the way every so often you're just kind of like oh Christ like social media is just too terrifying I'm going to go off the grid and whatever people want to say about me they just can yeah like that whole idea that like people can go with what they think first but then the truth kind of comes out later like you'd think we'd learn it's happened so many times with like big cases and stuff and it just keeps going. Everybody just goes all in right away. Don't even consider like any of the actual facts or what they're observing in front of them right then. Emotional reaction, what they want out of the situation straight away. Yeah, and like I know we keep going back to the relationship with John, which in fairness is a fairly small part of the book. But like with that example, like even at the relationship level, the book kind of goes into that. John thought the relationship he had with Harriet was somewhere completely different to where it was. That happens over and over again. Yeah, but like in fairness, I think that's like pretty common and people don't really talk about it. Like we've all had that relationship either in a romantic relationship or a friendship at least once. What do you mean? You know, like you think you're someone's total besto. You feel like you've got this soulmate connection thing going on with them. But like all of a sudden they like bring up that the relationship's a bit much or they stop getting back to you is quick they see you as like part of a group of mates like are they already have a soulmate type person yeah or like you sort of are mistaken in thinking that you both feel exactly the same way about things so like suddenly you are like oh here maybe I don't have to work around them and like think about all the ways they could react before you do something you're like oh I'll just be myself but then the second you take your eye off the ball and stop thinking about the ways they could react then you end up causing loads of trouble and it's like totally your own fault um okay so first off Sarah that sounds like being super possessive of someone which isn't exactly healthy and Clee like there's a difference between empathy and emotional abuse like if you have to think of every single reaction someone might have before you like interact with them it's not an equal relationship and you're kind of walking on eggshells to like not set someone off like that's that's not okay no no like what what I meant yeah um, yeah like um, no, 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 no. Sarah's right, you guys. Someone isn't your best friend. And if someone is your girlfriend or your bloke or whatever, it don't mean that you run away with your thoughts or what you want because you assume yours are the same. That was the problem with John and the whole Sue and Harriet would want to get married. Yeah, but by the same token, being told by someone else all the time that your natural inclinations make them upset and you need to change for the relationship to work, that is emotional abuse. And I mean... I don't really need to talk about this. We we get a really clear view of that in the book. I, I don't understand why that's being brought up as something that's okay. Um. Okay, well, we're going to wait for that Garda helicopter to, to go. I swear, it's like they wait until we're recording. <laughs> but yeah, like, so I guess, I guess we should get a trigger warning in here because I suppose... Yeah, I guess I guess you are right, Serge. And yeah, it is in the book. We get it. We do get a clear picture of this in the book. So so you know what? We're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about like emotional abuse and how it can occur in relationships and like like I didn't mean that I'd be calling friends up and being like, Oh my god, you're after really upsetting me, you're clearly out there being mates with someone else. I can see it on your Snapchat. Oh my god, no, and I'm not saying you're talking about the same type of thing that we see in the book. And I guess I guess just to explain that, there's there's part of the book that goes into emotional abuse that Harriet um went through with a partner from her past who yeah got got kind of aggressive with her 
Um, but I think that is that's way more common than people would think. Like not necessarily physically, but definitely like verbally and emotionally and like manipulating behavior like threatening that they'll leave or that the relationship doesn't mean anything to the other person or, or like that the other person is intrinsically bad or cruel for just doing normal things having friends wearing certain clothes or makeup or things like that and like Sarah Clea I'm not I'm not saying that you guys are like saying that that's okay I just it sort of sounds like you guys are kind of expecting it or something okay I don't know what you're talking about okay so me either but um so so I think what I'm saying is what you said there Sarah about kind of feeling like you're best best friends with someone and then you find out that you're maybe not that's kind of the same ballpark as as the type of abuse that we see in the book like like thinking that you have a really special bond with someone is awesome. And then, like, if you're in any way fearful of losing people, maybe you see them out with others or maybe they're out doing something that you aren't into and it messes with your idea of your bond. And, like, maybe they just don't want to hang out with you or maybe maybe who they actually are doesn't entirely match up with the idea you have of them in your head. And that's, that's rough for you if you've assigned a lot of meaning to that relationship. And sometimes I think that can mutate into like wanting to trap someone in a friendship or a relationship and like or even change someone so that you can have the kind of relationship you want in your own mind but like I would never do that no 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 no. and I don't think you would it's it's more that I think this idea that other people will help us feel better or become more complete to the point that like who the other person actually is becomes secondary it's sort of a main point of the book like and and what yourself and Claire are saying kind of deal with 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 both sides of that equation you know getting freaked out when someone is just being themselves out in the world and wanting them to match your idea of them in your head or on the other side changing yourself to work around who someone is so that you better fit their ideas or at least what they're telling you their ideas are of the relationship so that you can you can stay in it you know and 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 that's just so unfair to you to the other person no one's no one's telling the truth everyone's just going off their own preconceptions and and like we were saying preconceptions are kind of one of the main like focuses of the book John having an idea of Harriet that he ran with Harriet ignoring who John was but then after all of that ends Harriet moving into Cal's place and they both have insane preconceptions about each other but like it does make sense that they jump to those conclusions about each other oh 100% but they take those preconceptions and they run with them like Harriet's properly convinced within like the first 20 minutes of meeting Cal that he's this thoughtless privileged alpha just because his parents are pretty well off and he looks like Ryan Gosling in a buddy cop movie. Oh my God. <laughs> Just trying to figure out who he looks like. We should probably add him to like the nice smelling leading man list. Okay, like I want to agree with you, Clee, but for some reason I was like not really struck by how I assumed he smelled. I was like more taken by how he always seemed to have nice shorts on, even if the short was not described. Yes. Oh my God. Like that heavy cotton or like good linen you know and just just a nice colors like nothing cheap and like girls 
I'm not into that, except like I so am. <laughs> <laughs> but like but like those preconceptions and like even Lorna having a different story in her head about getting from IT that she was trying to bang and he never got back to her. Yeah, like I really like that. Like the fact that the whole getting didn't even want to smash situation that was that was like completely the opposite. Can I just say, right, that I am so here for Tom Segura's influence on you. What did I say? You just outlined a hetero couple smashing clay. It's a very evocative term. Like, it really is, in fairness. <laughs> but, but yeah, like, the, the fact, yeah, that there are all these misconceptions, like, flying around in the book, just as, like, part of moving the story along and creating conflict in this really lovely, like, relatively low stakes kind of way. It Well, first off, it helps, like, show off all the characters and the relationships they all have with each other. Like, like everyone has a ride-or-die person in their life, like Harriet and Lorna, Cal and his bestest Sam. Like, even John's mother has his back to an insane degree. She was a ridiculously great character. Yeah, the name Jackie has never been more correctly assigned. Right? Exactly. But, like, that all really sets us up for this huge runaway train thing that happens where something is shared about Harriet online and everyone and their grandmother believes it. Like, that whole thing genuinely made my blood run cold. Like, this is the thing. Like, if someone made something up about you online and people saw it, like, people just take that stuff as red and just, like, run with it. Like, people, like, tagging her in, like, diss you and being all, I'm genuinely affected by this issue and this bitch should, like, burn in hell because she's after doing the same thing. Genuinely, and, like, what if, like, your family or, like, people you worked for, like, saw it? Like, it's just, it's crazy. It's genuine, like, Lord of the Flies stuff. Oh, hi. So, like, I'm just going to get this out of the way and use this C word, like, cancel culture. Okay, oh, Joe Rogan. <laughs> no, like, I do know what you mean, though, Chloe. Like, yeah, with social media and everything, like, people power and, like, getting people behind, like, important boycotts and stuff has never been more effective. Yeah, but, like, to do so based on snap judgments and a mob mentality isn't exactly helpful. Could a chow, girls, right? Oh, my God, so polite, Chloe. Like, would you prefer me to talk down to you, Sasha? Like, talk down to me in Korean would be, like, such a weirdly specific porn genre. Okay, that's too much Tom Segura right there, man. Okay, no, in fairness, that's more of a Bert Kreischer observation. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. Girls, why are you talking about fat American comedians and not, like, congratulating me on my amazing Hankook Malshilyok right now? <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Sorry. Yeah. Not sure that's how you pronounce that, but yes, yes, well done, Chloe. <laughs> no, like, yeah, in fairness, that whole, yeah, constellation thing like it was it was really cool to see someone take that on as a subject and not be all oh poor me the mob is after me about it okay we're not going to talk about the author who shall not be named right no we're absolutely not but i i do yeah have so much respect for someone that yeah tackles this and looks at the way it happens and has the insight to put multiple characters in the book making similar unfounded leaps and judgment at the same time about different things like it's not you versus the mob it's all of us judging each other on nothing 
all the time. Like, like so much drama and heartache would be avoided if everyone differentiated a person from their behavior. Like, I don't know whether or not you're a good or bad person. I can't make that judgment. But you know what? That's not what we're here to talk about. That one thing you did right there that was super hateful or racist or homophobic or whatever. I'm not okay with that. I need you to stop it. Okay, Sersha for president, you guys. Seriously, I mean, I mean come true. on. Sell true, sell true. But girls, yeah. when do I get to talk about the fact that I was counting kisses at the end of text messages in this book? Oh my God, I know. It was like I was genuinely there. I told you the most relatable main character we've had in forever. Ever. I wanted to call like a summit meeting to discuss like how we were going to up the kiss quotient at the end of the next text message. Like this was serious business, girls. Did you forget how to say business there? I got too excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, in fairness, the whole Harriet, Cal, will they, won't they thing. That was that was pretty satisfying. All right. Okay, so maybe it's the fact that I was more excited about Harriet's Changsam than anything else in the book understandably (laughs) Harriet and Cal like they weren't very sexy right we have had sexier clay I will give you that I don't think it was that kind of book I think like Harriet was kind of dealing with too much to be in a particularly sexy place in her mind Though, in fairness, there were a few glimpses of it which were decidedly hot. Yeah, there was one point in the hallway, if I remember correctly, that was decidedly awesome. <gasps> oh my god, you're right! <laughs> but like, like no, it, it was pretty amazing seeing two characters like fall in, I don't know, trust with each other before they could even think about falling in love. Oh, that is a sound Yeah, bite. that's nice. Saoirse Flannery, you wordsmith. <laughs> I loved it. I loved the characters, the friendships, the fact that it went into some really hard things that we're dealing with as a society right now. I challenge anyone to read this book and not enjoy it. Genuinely. Hard same. Yeah, I felt like a gently, gently wake up call about, whoa, maybe just stop judging everybody all of the time was like exactly what the doctor ordered for me. And this book was 100% it. Yeah. And it, it kind of got me thinking like I've, I've seen it and I've seen it in myself in like my, my group therapy thing like the whole judgment thing like if you're spending all that time and energy on judging other people it's really easy to assume that others are at it too like if you think it's important then you make it important when other people do it to you it's this gross circular thing and there's no getting away from it unless you decide that judgment of other people and yourself is not important and stop yeah yeah Judgment just causes pain, you guys. Oh, here, can we stop before I start crying again? Oh, Chloe, you need a coffee and significant baked goods right now. You know, this is where you living just down the road from campus really comes into its own. What? You're on campus, but it's not even started. Yeah, no, me and Sarah, we're looking at the whole living, the whole accommodation situation. <gasps> oh my God, girls, I've completely forgot. I'm so sorry. Dude, it's not even a thing. And the main thing is now we get to come down and see you and we get to bring food. Woo! Yep. Oh That's right. This is so nice. Oh. <laughs> I don't deserve oh. you. Chloe. <laughs> okay, 
let's let's not get snot everywhere let's wrap this up yeah okay. <laughs> Rory McFarlane's Mad About You and her back catalogue overall actually is available on Kindle Apple and Google Books as well as all reputable booksellers we would just love it ever so much if you could buy independent it really is the soundest thing you could yeah. do um, also while you're at it you can pre-order her next novel Between Us coming out in spring 2023 oh so exciting yeah. we will be back in a few weeks with our next book last night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Lowe we noticed that our list of books was uh, <laughs> a little bit on the whiter side of life and we wanted yeah. to get a different perspective in here and uh, we looked out you guys this is a gorgeous book oh God, so, so romantic like, yeah we can look forward to that um, in the meantime, if you can, please, please, please like and subscribe to this show on your podcast platform of choice. You'll hear about our next episodes and also help more folks hear about us. And that would just be too awesome of you. If you were so inclined, you could throw a review on there. Again, that that really does help folks see the show and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah. That would be ridiculously sound. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at, at Chicklet for Life, on Twitter at, at Chicklet for Life One, and on TikTok at, at Chicklet for Life. You may be sensing a pattern there. <laughs> um, if you want to follow, you can find videos, more discussion, and sometimes an insight into our nonsensical group chat. <sighs> um, God have mercy on your souls. Yeah. We will see you guys as soon as we can get through this beauty of a book. And in the meantime, stay safe, stay hydrated, mask up where appropriate, and remember to have fun. We We'll see you guys later. Oh, okay, let's go to this bakery. <laughs> oh my god, I want a coffee slice. Ah, uh, girls! This week on Didoy, end of summer workshops always lead to weirdness. This year was no exception. Did someone say live ASMR? I don't know what I expected, Denise, but people were whispering directly into my ear. It was very strange. Mm, no, but I mean, I felt distinct spit flecks. It wasn't cute. Why didn't I think of the oral hygiene question before? Why? Why didn't that occur to me? Like, I know you can't catch halitosis, but I just really feel like I have, you know? Seriously, like, we do not know who okayed that idea, um, but, you know gave us a show so uh you you gotta tune in didoy thursdays